Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Before we start today's podcast, a quick heads up on Sherlock's VIP Club. From restaurants, bars and hotels to beauty, wellness and shopping, Sherlock's partners with some of London's best destinations and hottest brands to bring its VIPs exclusive monthly offers. So why not sign up? It'll cost you just £5 a month or £50 for the year. Use your card once or twice and you'll have made that amount back in no time. For more information, visit sherlocksvip.com. Amber Vensbox is a former personal shopper who monetized a fashion blog and in the process sparked a retail revolution. Frustrated that her blog was generating sales for retailers, but not for her, Amber and her then boyfriend launched Reward Style, a monetization solution for retailers and content creators. From a one-woman operation in 2011, her business has grown into a global network of 30,000 influencers, generating 1 billion US dollars in sales for its 4,000 retail partners and over half a million brands. An industry disruptor in every sense of the word. Amber, welcome to your Sherlock success story. Thank you so much for inviting me. So, back to the beginning. What are your first memories of being interested in fashion? Actually, a really early age. My mother always dressed me head to toe starting in elementary school. So first grade, I remember her having, you know, matched the hair bow and having the little kids hand-painted by my aunt, who was an artist, to like match my shirt. And I think I realized really early that my outfits actually could get me attention in a way that my personality didn't. And so I was always a very reserved child, but my teachers were always super interested in my outfits and always kind of, I guess I got attention from adults from that. And so looking back, I'm able to kind of reflect and see that. So I'd say that was maybe the beginnings of my fashion career, but by, you know, maybe age seven or so, I was calling my best friend and telling her what to wear to school the next day so that we could match on the playground. And- so you were an influencer, even- <laughs> you know, I, I had this kind of vision of what I thought that we should look like or act like and how much fun it would be. And so for me, getting dressed was always really fun. And I wanted other people to participate with me. And so you finished school. And what was your first job? You went to college? I did. And I had actually I had attempted entrepreneurship throughout both middle school and high school. So in middle in school, sense? Oh my gosh, I decided that I was going to create a denim line. And so I got basically vintage denim and I would deconstruct it and make it into jean skirts and then sell it to my friends in middle school. And in high school, I actually created a jewelry line and that one actually had legs. And so by the time I was into college, it had become like a real full blown business. And um, I also worked during college at a local retail store. I just loved being around the clothing and around beautiful clothes. And so in my spare time, I spent time at the shop, just styling the clients and helping 
helping the owners find clothing lines to buy. Amazing. So after college, your first job was? Yes. So I went back to the retail store where I'd worked in college. So I did internships both uh, in LA as a stylist in New York in the, you know, wholesale business. Were you always really motivated to work and to have a career and to be successful? It sounds like you were, but did you feel like you stood apart from your peers Mm -hmm. in that sense? It definitely made me very unique. My friends were not so much interested in their professional careers. And I don't even know that I thought of it as the beginnings of my professional career. I just really loved fashion and being around the clothes and being part of the industry that it's what I aspired to do. And I remember actually sitting down with my dad right at the end of high school. And I said, okay. And at the time there was a stylist named Rachel Zoe that I was like, I'm going <laughs> to be, I remember sitting down and I was like, I'm going to be the next Rachel Zoe. In order to do that, I need to move to LA this summer. I need to work as a stylist. And then next summer I'm going to go to New York. And I had this whole roadmap for him. And I said, so that means that in about a week, I need to pack up my car and drive from Texas to California. And I'm going to start this career. And here's my plan. And he was like, okay, take your brother. <laughs> So we packed up and I drove to LA for the summer and just kind of schlepped around for anyone who would take me trying to break into the industry. So that was your first job? Yes. And that was being a stylist? Yeah, a really kind of a stylist assistant in LA. And what did you do? Knock on doors? You know, I tried to meet a bunch of people, any, you know, relative that knew anybody in LA kind of in the industry. I ended up meeting with one of my uncle's friends, sons, who was a photographer. I had a coffee with him and he connected me with some of the stylists that he knew. And a couple of them had jobs that they needed assistance for. And so it was just kind of some networking for the first probably week or two. And then just continuing to pick up jobs with those stylists. And had you started a blog? By I had not, no. So where did that come in? So that was your career. So you were a stardust and that progressed. It did. Well, so after college, I came back to Dallas. I was working as a retail buyer and I started taking my jewelry line much more seriously. And it became actually a much bigger revenue source for me than my full-time job. So I decided to leave my full-time job to focus on that. And what I didn't realize that I was going to miss so much at my job was that I had a couple of key clients that would come in and I would dress them for their vacations or for events. And I had really built a relationship relationship with them. And I was also, when I went to the showrooms, I was really buying for their lives. And so when I left the job, I decided to do some personal shopping on the side. And so for those clients, I decided to still work for them. And the way that that worked was, you know, they'd say, Hey, I'm going on two weeks to a vacation in Greece. And I would bring them a wardrobe for those, you know, two weeks. And then whatever they ended up keeping, I would, you know, bill the retailer. Basically they would buy from the retailer and the retailer would pay me a commission on sales, like a salesperson. Mm -hmm. And so I had all these deals set up in Dallas with all of these stores that I knew, and they would let me check out the clothes, take it to the client's house. And then they knew how it worked. And so I actually started a blog with my boyfriend in Miami on a vacation and we had gone shopping and I came out of this store called Alchemy. And I was like, I just found this designer and this designer and this store is so cool. And he was like, Amber, you really need to start a blog and tell somebody who cares. <laughs> and <laughs> it's not me. It's not me. <laughs> and I was actually thinking to myself, you don't care, but also like my mom doesn't care, but also my friends don't care. So you're right. Like I should actually start a blog. And we truly walked across the street to the Barnes and Noble and got a notebook and I started making this business plan for a blog. And so the whole concept was I was going to document this work I was doing with personal shopping. I would blog three times a day and get me more offline clients. I could do more styling. And what I quickly found was that my clients really loved the blog. And in fact, it made their lives even more convenient than me just bringing them the clothes to their house because they didn't have to book appointments with me. They could just wait for their husband, their kids to go to bed. They're drinking wine. They're on the blog. They can buy whatever they like. I'm doing myself out of business here. Exactly. 
Exactly. And so within about six months of, of launching the blog, I was actually getting tons of press. Like blogging was this new thing. And that what was year starting. are we in right now? This was 2010. Okay. And so I actually didn't even know I had started a blog. I thought I had a website that marketed my personal shopping business. And the local paper, which was the Dallas Morning News, did this full page article in it. And at the top, it said, meet the blogger. And it had a picture of my site. And it said, Amber, this like shop girl from around town, jewelry designer that you know, has now started a blog and she's providing her services online for free. And that didn't click for me until about six months later when I realized that free part really sucks because (laughs) I'm no longer making commission from all the things that I'm doing, but yet I've like built this website and I've hired a photographer and I've got to figure out a way to be able to support myself with this blog, but it really didn't exist at the time. And you weren't able to support yourself because the commission... Well, you couldn't make money online. And so as a blogger, first of all, you know, the word blogger was just starting to emerge. It certainly wasn't a respectable group of people who were blogging. It was like some weird girls taking pictures of themselves. And honestly, I was hard pressed to find any sort of peers in Texas. Like Mm -hmm. there wasn't anybody blogging. And so as an industry, it wasn't respected. Retailers weren't working with bloggers. And I remember actually, once we had started Reward Style, going to the retailers who had worked with me offline as a personal shopper. And I said, hey, would you honor that same system that we had set up offline, but just online? And they're like, oh no, we don't work with bloggers. Like we work with celebrities and magazines, but like I would get fired. Yeah, exactly. And so it was tough breaking in in the beginning. You know, blogger was a pejorative term. Yeah, absolutely. So you went from fashion blogger to tech entrepreneur. (laughs) How did that happen? An interesting transition. That was a light bulb moment. Yes. Well, it was really with my boyfriend. So he had actually helped me. Now husband. So when we met, I again was talking to him about things he did not care about, one of which was my jewelry line. But his interest were piqued when he saw the spreadsheet where I was managing my business. And he was like, I'm sorry, you're making how much money on this? And like, where's that money going? What are you doing with it? And I was like, well, I'm very well dressed. (laughs) That's where it's going. And so he really helped me to think about it much more strategically and with a long-term vision in mind. And so with the blog, you know, he saw me starting to spin my wheels and really actually losing money and no longer being able to support myself. Because, you know, offline with personal shopping, I was able to earn a commission, but my key clients had moved to my blog thinking that they're supporting me, but really I wasn't able to bill on Mm. the sales that they're making online. So he said, if you want to keep blogging. Yeah. He was like, if you want to keep blogging, I think I can help you figure out a way to make money. So we started looking around online and nothing existed. And I went to a blogging conference in New York to try and meet some people who blogged to understand how they were making money. And what I found out was, you know, the people on stage, I totally tracked down afterwards and stalked. I was like, hi, I'm Amber from Texas. I'm not your competitor. So please tell me, how do you make money? And what the feedback that I got from these, you know, big bloggers was, well, we get free clothes and we get invited to parties. And I was like, well, that's not paying my bills. (laughs) And so when I came back home, I talked to him about, you know, my experience there and He's like, well, it sounds like we should create something, you know, dream world, you know, rainbows, unicorns, everything's on limits. What would that look like? And I said, well, I know that Kim actually bought that bag because I told her to. If the retailer would just pay me online the way they do offline, like this would be fine. She's probably buying more now than she was buying for me before. And so he was like, well, I think, you know, that we can create that. And so we started a company called Reward Style. The premise was really moving my offline personal shopping business online so I could make money from the sales I was driving online. 
And when you launched Reward Star, was this for your own income or were you at that point thinking of a platform that everyone else could use as well? Was it a big picture idea or was this like, let's sort me out right now? So the initial thing was sort me out. And my two goals in life were to not live with my dad and to wear cute clothes. (laughs) And so it was like, like if we can achieve those things, it's a beautiful life. And then, you know, I had made friends in the blogging world. And so we thought, okay, well, maybe my friends can use this too. That'll make more sense. We'll build this into like a true platform. And so we started building that. And Baxter came to me and he said, hey, this is a real business. Like we should get investment. We should move into an office and like take this seriously. And at the time, you know, I'm counting pennies. And I was like, you want to do what? You want to rent us something? Like, how is that going to work? And I was very fearful. And so we actually met up with some friends at a bar. And we said, hey, Amber's doing this thing, making money. Her friends have started making money would you guys like to invest a little bit in it? And we want to like build this platform and help more people do it. But I remember one of our friends saying, well, if this is such a big opportunity, then you guys both need to essentially quit your job. So Amber, stop doing your jewelry and Baxter, stop your full-time job. And you guys actually do this. And that will show us that it's, there's something here. And so we did. And the, the tech background, where did that come from? What's your husband? What was yes. his career? So we are very much yin and yang. So my experience is working as a stylist and wholesale, my own jewelry line, going to school for PR. And then his whole background is engineering. So he was electrical engineer and then had moved back to Dallas and was doing tech investments for a fund and was just starting to get his MBA at SMU, which is like a top 10 business school. I was learning kind of vicariously through him every night when he'd come home and tell me about his classes. But he is very much um, the technologist and the business strategist. And my whole side was, I'm a girl who has this problem and I can help you understand the industry so we can fix it. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, Baxter still jokes today that I can't set up a printer, which is true, I can't. Um, But I think that's part of what's made us so successful is I used to literally draw on PowerPoint you know, I want to touch here and it does this. I want to see this screen that shows me this. And so it was very much informed by my experience as an influencer and and still is today. And so I think that's part of what's made us so successful is I know Net-A-Porter likes to say we're dummy proof, but it's true. And that's because it was built just for people like me who don't have an engineering background or a business degree. And we don't want to see a bunch of spreadsheets. We want to see something that looks like we're shopping. (laughs) So how did you build it before the investment? And you built the platform just for yourself. Yes. How did you do that? Baxter, uh, my now husband, had what I'll call loosely an incubator. And so he had some of his own ideas. There was an engineer there. There was a designer. And they were all just doing it for equity in the company. And so they would kind of create these ideas, launch them. And some of them, you know, varying degrees of success. My jewelry line, my e-commerce site became one of those projects. Reward style was one of those projects. And the way that it would work was I would sit during the day and I would draw on PowerPoint what I wanted the screens to do. And then at night, I would sit with the designer after he got off of work and I would essentially like handhold with him while he was actually transferring that to wireframes. And then we would pass that off to the developer to create. And so we got really just, you know, our minimum viable product out. And then we sat down with the engineer and said, okay, We've got a couple thousand dollars from our friends. Like we can pay you now. So let's, will you do this full time with us? And we're going to focus on reward style. So those friends that gave you a couple of thousand dollars, were they the friends that you met in the bar? He said you got to quit your jobs and do this full time. Yes. 
It was friends and family. And I mean, we're talking like a couple thousand dollars. Like we had $400 to furnish the office. And so we got an Ikea desk. We went to a garage sale and got leather chairs. My mom negotiated with the guys and we got like eight chairs, which we had no room for eight chairs, but we got eight chairs for like $150. And then I took an old painting from my house that I thought was ugly and I painted black over it and then did the reward style logo that I had kind of like designed on top of it. And my mom bought me a Keurig for my birthday and that was the office. Perfect. (laughs) Yes. All you need. need. Talk to us about the retailers. How easy was it getting them on board? So our first big break was with ShopUp. And ShopUp had been acquired by Amazon and was really a, a digital first platform. And so they were much more willing to try things in the space. And so we finally got a hold of somebody at ShopUp and had a call with them and explained what we were doing. And it was just a tech guy, literally from the tech team who took the call. And he said that they would try it because the whole sell was, hey, we'll plug in technology you guys already have on your site and you'll only pay if it works. And we negotiated a commission rate. And so he was willing to do it. And I remember coming downstairs and at my dad's house where we were currently working. And I said, oh my gosh, like Chop Pop said, yes. He's like, Amber, you are splotchy everywhere. Like I had broken out in hives. I had so much anxiety. You know, 22 years old talking to this guy, trying to convince him to do Were business you with me. Yes. Wow. And so that was our first. And that unlocked a lot for us because they had, you know, such a, a depth and breadth of product. And so as a, a fashion blogger, I could talk about so many things. And so mm. I would kind of curate what I was talking about to shop up. And then we parlayed that to, you know, it was like an intern's sister-in-law's friend who worked at Net-A-Porter who knew the person in marketing. I mean, we literally threw our body at cars to get a hold of anybody. And I remember getting on the phone with Net-A-Porter and, you know, we're in our first office, which is really just a studio apartment. And I, you know, never used to get dressed for work. And so I would just wear my gym shorts and t-shirt and we, we had a Skype call. So I like slicked my hair back and I put on pearl earrings and I put on a blouse and I sat there and I had like the lamp with the light, like, and I had the, the logo behind me, the painting that I had done. And I was like, oh, hello. <laughs> and after several calls, finally ended up getting Net-A-Porter on board. And with those two, we had luxury and we had mass market and we were able to then essentially build case studies of for other brands to be able to join the platform. One of the things I get asked so much is how do you make money in digital publishing? For people listening who's aren't clear on it, can you explain to them exactly how this relationship works? Yes, absolutely. So I can speak to reward style specifically. And so the way that our platform works, you can almost think of it like an incubator. So we take applications. So we've had about 250,000 applications to reward style. We look for influencers who what we call are investable. So those who we think we can monetize all the content they're putting out in the world today, and then also help them to grow their business. And we've accepted now over the last seven years, 30,000 of those across 100 countries. And so once they're accepted to the platform, we provide them with three things. Um, The first is brand relationships. And so we have 4,500 brands that we work with. It's everyone from Net-A-Porter and Gucci, all the way to Stories and Amazon and Etsy. It's it's across the board, um, across fashion, home, fitness, men's family, all the categories that a style-centric influencer would want to talk about. And what we're doing is whenever they're publishing all of their content, we're tracking all the brand and product references and we're making it very easy for their consumers to shop what they see, whether it's on their blog or their YouTube or Instagram or like to know it or whatever channels they're publishing to. And then we bill the retailer for any sales that are driven and pay the influencer. And so that's one way that our influencers are earning revenue today is just purely based on the the sales that they're driving through the original content that they're creating. 
Another kind of revenue stream that we facilitate is through what we call collaborations or campaigns. And so brands today will come to us because we have this historical performance data cross channel for 30,000 influencers. And they say, okay, we need to drive X in sales or X in traffic or whatever their goals might look like. And we're able to use historical performance data to then cast for them and say, okay, here's the right mix of influencers. And sometimes it's hundreds of influencers. Here's the right rates based on what we know about their true reach, about their true ability to drive sales. So it's highly rationalized. And then they deploy that spend through us. And that's one of the fastest growing departments um, in our company. And it already is one of the largest revenue streams. I expect at some point it will come become the largest revenue stream. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And then we're also doing unique things like image licensing, for example. So a hot topic lately is influencers create this amazing, beautiful imagery, and then brands will sometimes use it without permission in their marketing materials or with us, they're using it with permission. And so that's, that is another revenue stream as well as really the selling of imagery. And um, we're always testing and trialing unique things. There's always, you know, different businesses or platforms today that need the value that influencers are creating. And so we've continued to really find ways to quantify the value of influencers in the marketplace and then get them paid. But I would say the foundational income for an influencer is going to be basically off the sales that they're driving. And then at a certain scale, then they start being paid for the actual, for guaranteed content or collaborations as we call it. Is there a tipping point on the number of followers that you've got to have on Instagram before you can expect income from content? Yeah. You know, it's tough to say because it's not always directly correlated. And so we have clients with millions of followers who drive less volume of sales than those with 30,000 followers. And that's a true case study. Uh, We know one of our top five influencers in the world has 30,000 Instagram followers. She's based in the US. She's a mom and was previously in another career. And she had a blog as something supplementary. And now it's become actually she's the breadwinner for the family, of course. And with 30,000 followers, what they're so high net worth and engaged there. I think intent is a lot what it comes down to today with influencers. And so I think that's why you've seen a transition from celebrity marketing to influencer marketing is because with celebrities, you know, they're holding a can of hairspray, for example, and you know that they're being paid to hold the can of hairspray because they're not on a daily basis telling you about their beauty routine and their products, or they're not on a daily basis telling you what dress they wore to an event. And the difference with influencers is every day, everything that they're showing you, they're giving you information about, they're making recommendations. And so the intent when you go to that influencer is to find out, you know, what necklace they have on or what car seat they use or stroller or whatever that is about their life. And so this, you know, person is a great example of someone who's 
they don't have a ton of followers, but the followers who come to them are very, very actively engaged and they come because they want to buy into this person's mm -hmm. life and mm -hmm. they really trust them. And I think that's a great example of um, what we see today. Like within our top five influencers worldwide, none are household names. Really? That's fascinating. Let's just go back. So you had your Skype call with Nella Porte. Yes. Uh, in your gym shorts. And what happened next? Talk to us about the evolution of the business. Yeah. It's been transformational in the last seven years. So the time when I had the call with the shop ops and the net-a-portes of the world, um, like I said, blogger was very much a pejorative term. Marketing departments didn't think of content in the way of influencer at all. There was not a budget for it. And in fact, the, some of the feedback that I got from them and other brands was, if I paid a blogger to do something, I would get fired. <laughs> and so we've come a long way since then. And a long way in a, in a lot of senses. First, I think just even the publishing platforms have changed. So whereas we started with blogs, so people are on WordPress or Blogspot, that was 2011. And then 2012, all of a sudden Pinterest came on the scene. And all of a sudden now this is a different type of publishing platform, although also desktop. 2013, Facebook bought Instagram. And this is the first time we have a mobile publishing platform and the first time we have a closed mobile publishing platform, meaning that you can't link out. This is the first time this has ever happened. It was a, a place where you no longer had to have a big digital camera and a team that had created you a website and all of that to create content. You could actually create it on the fly. You could reach customers through this really viral platform. And the third thing that had happened there, so, you know, of course, having the tools is one and they're now free. Having the distribution is obviously quite important. But then the third thing is having the monetization built in. So I can actually wake up now and make money by creating content every day. I think the publishing platforms have changed. Along with that have changed consumer expectations. So I'm used to going to a blog where I can find out everything and I can link to whether it's the hotel they're staying at, the flight they took, the earrings they have on, whatever it is, I can click to find out that information. Pinterest, I'm a little bit more limited. I can click back to the blog and then find out the information. Now I'm used to having that information. I can't have it anymore. And that really opened the door for a product that we released in 2014, which was called Like to Know It. And Like to Know It was initially created to solve the problem of like, where do you get that? That people are asking on Instagram. So all the comments used to be, where's the dress? Where is it from? Where'd you get it? And people with large following would answer it 15 times, but it'd be buried in all the comments. And you still would then have to like screenshot it and go to Google and like try and find it. Very clunky for the consumer. At the same time, you know, other industries are really transforming because when we started Reward Style that year was the first time that the app store came loaded on your phone. So before that, you actually never even had the app store. And then also at that period, you were just starting to get a, a decent camera on your phone. Mm -hmm. So things were really starting to change. But transportation was also evolving. So with the app store came Uber. And all of a sudden now, with like a click, you can get a car. And then came the transformation in food. So, you know, there's all sorts of apps all over the world where... You know, you can go in and have your food delivered to your house whenever you're ready or have your massage delivered through personal care services. And now with fashion, people expect that same sort of like immediacy. So we launched Like to Know It around this time, changing consumer expectations. And if you registered for the service, then you could like an Instagram photo by one of our clients and then get an email with that Instagram photo and all of the ready to shop information. And the first year that drove $10 million in sales. And the next year it drove $50 million in sales. And the next year, $150 million in sales. And as we're watching just the space evolve, and as we're growing internationally, things that we saw in common were social platforms were continuing to grow. We saw like Snapchat's IPO. They're all closed mobile social. 
So we thought, you know, in order to future-proof our clients for where this is all headed, we need to expand Like to Know It into really its own app and something that's cross-channel universal. So in 2017, we launched the Like to Know It app. Backing up a little bit, in 2016, we actually had been shopping for a technology that would allow image recognition. And so we found a company and bought them out of New York in 2016. Early 17, we launched the app using their technology they'd created and patented. And by December, we hit a million users on the app. And the app was really this clear and differentiated product from what I like to know it initially was because it was a destination that was 100% shoppable. Mm. So before you have like a Pinterest where you can go find inspiration yeah. and you have an Instagram where some of the things are by bloggers, but this is like, if you want to shop anything, have you do with the mindset of a, of a customer that, yeah. Yes. We want to go to these aggregated platforms. It's what we see, you know, consumer behaviors doing. They're not typing in blog names anymore. They're going to places where they can get tons of content. Um, and now they can get tons of content that's 100% shoppable. So we initially launched it as a tool that allowed you to shop your screenshots of that influencer content anywhere on the web. So if you just had the app, then you could be on Instagram or Pinterest or Facebook or wherever and take screenshots of that content that you wanted. And we'd send you a push notification with all the shopping information. It launched as a utility and really quickly became a discovery platform. So we mm. added influencer search. So you could search the influencers that you wanted to see. And then we added influencer following and then, you know, discovery and wish listing. And today there's a product wish listed every second. The app in the first year drove 300 million in retail sales. It hit a million users faster than Facebook, Pinterest, Tumblr, and Twitter. So it's really taken off. And today, 70% of our influencers who apply are mobile only. They don't have a blog. They might never have a blog. And like to know it really is the new blogging platform that was created for them and for what the industry has evolved into. And for consumers, it's a place where they find their people and curate their life. It's beyond body type and price point, but I'm finding, you know, moms who live in suburbs, who have three children, who drive a car, who have are of a certain faith, who, you know, these things that really technology has not been able to do in the past mm-hmm. where I'm able to really curate those people that I identify with their life experience and then I can shop their entire life. I can be them. Yes. You said 70% apply. Yeah. So it's invite only. It is. How does that work? Is that something that you always plan to maintain? We do plan to maintain that. Um, and really, we invest just a ton of resource in our influencers. And so, you know, the reason I described it as an incubator program as we're helping to educate, it's like grad school for influencers. And so we're educating them on how to really professionalize, but then also helping them to grow their business. And so we're actively pouring into them and investing in them. So we need that reciprocal investment. And so we need to be sure this is someone who's truly looking to professionalize, who is looking to make investment and apply what we're giving to them. And so that's important. And on the other side, for the brands, the reason this has been able to take off is because brands need to reach consumers. And today, consumers, last year, they were spending five hours on their phone a day. This year, they're spending closer to six hours on their phone a day. Stop. Stop. It's incredible. <laughs> it's a phenomenon, really. But they're spending 90% of that time inside of aggregated content channels like a Facebook and Instagram. I like mm. to know it. And so as a marketer, if you want to reach a consumer, you fish where the fish are and you go to those places, but those aren't places where display advertising lives. And so you need to reach them through the people that they follow. So these brands are using reward style as a place where they can get influencer at scale and influencer completely rationalized. So they're able to get their products integrated into hundreds and thousands. You know, somebody like a luxury multi-brand is going to have thousands of reward style influencers driving sales for them on a monthly basis. 
And then they're paying in a highly rationalized way. And so when you think about the budgets, millions of dollars that used to go to other places for marketing, those places just don't exist anymore. It's just not where consumers are. So they've been rerouted, but they need to be rerouted in a way that someone, if they're spending $10 million, they need to be able to report back very specifically about what happened with that $10 million. And that's what Reward Style does for these brands. And so that then obviously opens up more opportunity for more influencers. It becomes this kind of virtuous circle where, you know, because it is now a very highly rationalized industry, there's more investment going into it, which provides more opportunity for more influencers. And and so it goes. For people listening that are inspired by this and want yeah. a kind of a piece of that 10 million that Gucci are putting into Reward yeah. Style, <laughs> what do you think makes a successful influencer today? You know, it's someone who is focused on their customer. So just like any business, you know, you can put two hotels side by side. They're both in central London. They're both beautiful spaces, but you're going to choose one based on the consistent service that they provide. And so the best influencers in the world today are producing content on a very regular basis. They're providing all the details about it and making just really convenient for their customers. And so I think removing any what I'd call like snobbery influencers that historically sometimes will be very closed off about what they're wearing or where they are. And those that are actually very open and generous with their audience of this is what I'm wearing, this is where you can get it and just providing all those details. When someone is buying into your life and they're experiencing, you know, your world, when they wear that dress that they bought because you wore, they feel good. And they're also now they're going to come back and tell people and someone compliments. It's like, oh, yeah, well, that was because Ashley wore that dress. And I got it off of her. Do you follow her? And it becomes a marketing tool for them, but it makes them feel like they've really bought into your Mm. world. So I would say just like any business, it ends up being relationships in a service industry. And so being very good to your clients. And what about the industry? How do influencers get credibility from the industry? Is it all about the numbers? It is moving more and more that way on an hourly basis. Brands today, 86% of brands now spend in the influencer space. And almost 40% of those are growing their budgets year over year. And that is purely because of the rationalization. So it's becoming less of a game of, I, you know, as a brand have 10 bloggers I like to work with, and that's it. You know, PR might still have those relationships with those influencers, but brands are now, because of where the consumers are, they're needing to work with thousands of influencers. So it's becoming much more of a science. And so it really comes back to production. Um, This is a tough thing for influencers who have been in the industry for a while, who have gotten away with kind of manufacturing rates or by playing a relationships game, because now that it is a known and established industry, you know, CMOs are expecting complete rationalization and metrics. And as we're moving away from a celebrity society and more of a peer-to-peer influencer society, they care and are less impressed with who it was that talked about it and more of what it drove. And what do you think is more effective, lots of smaller or fewer bigger influencers? Just depends on the mix, really, and what they're able to drive. We have influencers with millions who are not as efficient at driving sales as some of our smaller influencers. But it, you know, brands still have a number of different goals. And sometimes that is reach, which is great for an influencer um, that's gotten quite large. And sometimes it's sales, which can be a mix of the larger influencers and, and the smaller guys. And really for them, it comes down to ROI. And so what's the right mix for them to just achieve the, sure. the goals that they want? And for people listening, on average, a reward style influencer, what kind of salary are a lot of them earning? It's changing rapidly. We have, for the past many years, had what we call reward style millionaires. So those people who earn over a million dollars in reward style on an annual basis. 30,000 influencers. And so, you know, you're looking in the tens of people who are are making millions. But we had 83% more influencers last year 
earn over $100,000, which is where we find that it's very meaningful, not only to them, but to their families and starts, you know, moving into breadwinner status for the family. And even we see a lot of families transitioning to where this is the family business and everyone is, is working and contributing in that way. Since 2012, to 2017, we're able to grow the average influencer earning by 4x. So influencers on our platform now earn on average four times as much as they did back in 2012. And that's really in large part because we've gotten much better at understanding our data and consulting, but then also creating products that meet a consumer need. Because ultimately, no one makes money if the consumers aren't buying. Mm. And so, you know, with products like Like to Know It, it's catering to their need for convenience and accessibility and personalization and what they expect from their mobile device. Um, And so those sorts of things are unlocking massive revenue. Of the billion dollars we drove last year, 300 million of it was through a brand new product. And do they have targets that they have to hit as a reward style influencer? We look at our influencers as unique businesses, certainly. And so they do have to maintain a certain performance to be on the platform, but then we have specific goals set for each influencer, you know, based on where they are in their life cycle and their maturity as an influencer. Do you ever kick them out if they're not doing what they should be? (laughs) We do. Too many parties on their social media. You know, we do, but it's really just a reflection of like a mutual, I have decided maybe to stop blogging or my life has taken a different turn or whatever that is. We don't see that happen very often. And what's the future for influencers? How is it going to change? I mean, it's moving so quickly. Yes. Well, it's a true career path. And so now there is a playbook and there are expectations of what an influencer does and how well they perform. And so where it used to be very Wild West today, it's actually becoming much more scientific. And I think that you'll continue to see more influencers enter the market as there's more demand from the brand side to be able to reach consumers. And for us, we're really focused on building tools that help our influencers to make more money, to save more time, um, and to really get more reach. And those are kind of the three key things we focus on. And our vision is to make monetizing influence as easy as turning a key, both for our influencers and for our brands. And so those are the tools that we're building over the next several years. And do you feel like we're in the early stages of this industry and everyone's just catching on or is this now a flooded market? You know, I we are definitely still very early in this industry. With that said, I think we are on now to chapter two of influence. And so the platforms have changed, the consumers have changed and the way that the brands are approaching influencer and marketing budgets has changed. And so you've really felt a transition over, I'd say, even the last six months. And in terms of the social platforms, where do you see the trends going in terms of which platforms are going to survive? What do you think is going to happen to Snapchat? How do you kind of rank them in order of importance? So for us, when we look at where the revenue comes from today, the largest single source is from social media and from like to know it. Those go neck and neck. And so it's all other social media, meaning Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, Pinterest, Snap, all of those in aggregate are about the same retail demand as Like to Know It, which makes sense just because people come to Like to Know It specifically to shop. And we also see social platforms, as Mark Zuckerberg has announced, he plans to make them focus on friends and family. And so less will you see publications, brands, media pages on those places, which will only drive more influencer demand to an influencer-specific destination like a Like to Know It. After that, we've seen already that Like to Know It has overtaken what we call the blog. So like your .com. So for me, that's vinzettes.com. And it's already overcome that. And that's your blog for people listening. That is my blog, (laughs) yes. So social media, Like to Know It, and then the blog are kind of the three key earning areas today. We see that consumers are only moving more and more mobile and almost exclusively mobile. We see that social platforms 
are becoming completely closed environments where everything happens within their environment. And so it is becoming harder for brands or influencers to grow an audience the way that they used to. And is there any point, if you're a new influencer, is there any point in having a blog now? It's tough to say. Our highest earners um, are a combination of blog and like to know it users. That said, that is because they started their blogs in a time where people went to blogs. Mm. And so to try and drive someone to a blog today is a very tough thing to do. I see my own blog, even though I started back in 2010, as really a portfolio. So I expect for there to be various social platforms, um, and I will use them all for very different reasons. But the blog is my home base. But really, when I think about like truly blogging, like where do I publish the most? I publish the most to like to know it today. And I treat that really as my blog because I can take the image on the go. I can publish it on the go through the Reward Style app. And there's more content live there than is on my blog. But the blog still exists, and it, and it is more of a portfolio. For most of our influencers today, they do not have blogs. And as you guys know, it can be very expensive to start a blog. You know, it's interesting with like a WordPress, for example, we have done probably 40 articles um, within our kind of strategy book for our influencers on how to get newsletter, you know, subscribers, how to keep your newsletter subscribers, like what type of content works best there, like all sorts of strategy. With a platform like Like to Know It, it's actually built by influencers for influencers. And so instead of like trying to train people on here's how to get them to subscribe, we're actually now creating a tool where if you follow me on Like to Know It, you are subscribed to my newsletter. And whereas used to, we'd say, okay, go back to your analytics and see like, did a thousand people click on that dress, but only two people purchased it. Okay, well now it went on sale. So maybe try that and talk about it again because they all liked it. Maybe it was too expensive mm-hmm. or whatever. Now we actually just have wish listing, And so if you like something in a post, you can wish list it and save it. When it goes on sale, you can buy it then. We're automating a lot of the things about influence that were really tough in the past. And so it's changing in that way as well. And for that reason, it makes it less attractive to go back and, and start a desktop blog today. Mm. And what about Snapchat? What do you think the future of Snapchat is? I think it's still developing. Where you see platforms like a Snap struggle is when they don't have influencer DNA. You know, the most important thing on a platform is the content. And that's what then attracts the consumers. But if the person creating the content is not happy or being served in the way they need to be served, then they're going to go to places where they are because ultimately content is a business, just like fashion is a business. The example with Snapchat is historically, they've not been a business friendly environment. And so people have invested their time in other places. They're doing a lot to change that and a lot to make it a more business friendly environment. So we'll see where it goes. Today, it does not contribute a meaningful amount of revenue to our retailers or influencers. Mm. It's interesting to watch. Despite it being on decline, it's still yes. such an enormous business. You, you kind of it has, can't well, imagine. And it really is shaping other platforms as well. So much of the functionality within Instagram today, of course, is Snapchat functionality. <laughs> Let's talk about you. Yeah. You run the business with your, well, now husband, yes. initially boyfriend. How does that work? You describe yourselves as each other's yin and yang. Yes. I think part of the reason that we really connected when we first met was our mutual love for entrepreneurship. And so he had this incubator that he had started and was creating his own companies. And I had my jewelry business, my personal shopping business. And so we were able to talk to each other just kind of about business. And we had independent passions aside from our even our full-time jobs. And so we've always had that in common. Uh, When we started Reward Style, it was actually super tough on our relationship. This is the first time we were truly working actively together. And when you're in startup life, not only are you working all the time, there's a lot of failures. 
And so those sorts of things just cause friction and finger pointing and you should have done this or said this or why didn't you think of X, Y, Z. And so it was definitely tumultuous for quite a while. Also, we were in a tiny room sharing a desk. And so every phone call I made, he was, you know, sending me G chats of why do you say this? You should have said this. Did they say, you know, oh, God, you know, how annoying. Oh, I know. <laughs> so now we have separate offices. <laughs> uh, we're just far enough. But we've really found a way to set boundaries around our business. And now, especially that we um, have gotten married and we have a family, it's actually really nice to work together because we probably never see each other much. Otherwise, you know, this week, for example, he's in London, I'm in London. It's just nice to actually get to kind of spend some time together as we travel. And how are you juggling it? I mean, you're a mother of two, seem to be a mother of three. You're in London, your children are in the US. How do you deal with that on a personal level? Because that must yes. be tough, having such small it babies. Is. You know, I have read that the first eight years are the most important of their lives in shaping who they're going to be. And I honestly really love being with him. I think as a parent, you're probably just programmed to be obsessed with your children. But I think they're really fun and cute. And it's interesting to see your investment pay off so quickly. I don't think there's anything else in life where you do something and you see them either do or not do that thing. <laughs> and so especially at this super young age, you know, my daughter is now starting to talk. And so hearing the things that she says, you realize... I didn't do that well, or I did do that well. So I love being with him. And so what I've kind of created is just really boundaries around our life. And so I have a certain number of hours a week that I have in my mind that I'm going to spend with them. And if the beginning of the week is super demanding for me, and for some reason, I'm not able to be, you know, because I think the thing about working that I didn't understand was I go to work before they wake up. And unless I leave work, what I consider early, then I have no time with them before they go to bed. And so you really like I never my life have left work at 5.30 before, but that's when I leave now because then I'm home by six and I can have two hours with them before they go to bed. And those are the only two hours I get with them during the work week. When they have to go to bed, I can pick back up on whatever I missed during my typical work day. But I have those certain number of hours. And so if, if I miss those hours with them early in the week, then I'll find time to leave work earlier or go into work later, later in the week to just make up time with them because you just don't get it back. And these are such an important years. And so they've really become my priority. And they've also helped me to reset you know, what happiness looks like in my life and what balance looks like in my life and realizing that, you know, reward style for us is, you know, we are an infinite player, which means we're going to be continuing doing this and growing the business and powering people. So I'm not going to get this time back. So really not slowing down on what we want for our life, but integrating it into our business life. And do you have rules at the weekend? It's not about work. I mean, you obviously work in the evenings. You put them to bed. You go back to work. Yes, like yeah. <laughs> You know, we try really hard not to talk about work on the weekends. And so we had kind of instituted this thing where if you on the weekends wanted to talk about work that you needed to either schedule an appointment with a person the next week or send an email or kind of make a note to follow up on it. It becomes tough through different stages as there's different just things going on that feel and seem urgent. But we've gotten much better at not making it the constant topic of conversation conversation while we're at the house. So your husband's the CEO and you're the president. I am. Were those natural roles for you both to take on? I think so. You know, he had much more work experience than I did and experience in both the financial sector and investments. He had an MBA and an engineering degree. Honestly, I'm quite happy working on all th- things brand and really, really focusing on our customer. And so they, they seem to fit really naturally. And I also, I think for the first time in my personal life too. Like I've always looked for a mate that I could default decision-making to and always dated guys that I couldn't. (laughs) And Baxter is the first time that I'm actually like, you're actually smarter than me. Please. Yes. Go make all those decisions. And so we're a good team, but I ultimately trust that he actually is the the one who's more capable of decision-making. And so he is technically my boss, although 
I don't really report in to him. <laughs> Technically, yeah. you'll let him have technically. Yeah. I know, I told him. He has the corner office, and so I said, well, that just means you have to work harder. Right. And you employ how many people now as reward style? Yeah, we're at about 250 people. We have now seven offices on four continents and provide service in over a dozen languages. And what's the long-term plan? It sounds like, well, you've achieved a huge amount. Do you want to sell the business? Do you want to stay with the business? Is there still a lot more for you to do personally mm-hmm. as a couple? What does like success look like for you in the future? It's really been so redefined for us lately. And I think I started a company because I just wanted to pay rent and wear cute clothes. <laughs> and then as you you know move through the different stages of the business, you just want the business to survive. And then you're excited about what it's doing for your customers and you feel comfortable with the survival. And then there is certainly pressure on you of like, okay, what does your exit look like? And do you go public? And do you take on more investment? And I think for us, we've done a lot of soul searching and especially in with having our children lately and thinking about how that factors into our life and our time allocation. And we've really realized that we have all the things that make us happy in our life today. And if we set appropriate boundaries, then we are able to take vacation and spend time with our kids and also just do things that we really love. Like I absolutely love this role, you know, getting to direct the brand and spend time with our clients and, and work with my spouse. And he, you know, is getting to work on a much grander stage than ever before, you know, using his financial acumen and his strategy and his technical expertise. And so we can't think of roles that are better suited for ourselves that provide kind of the lifestyle that we want. And so I think we've become, you know, very happy in the space that we are today. You're doing what you should be doing. Yeah. And what qualities do you think has got you to where you are? Gosh, obsessiveness, maybe. (laughs) Um, Acute attention to detail. You know, I think being just a complete idiot savant. And so I, I really do and have always loved the fashion industry. And in a way that was maybe even very odd through elementary school, even through college. I remember my friends saying, Amber, like you work too much. I was like, but I just, I love it. And so I think that's been a big piece of it. Being our own client, having a co-founder is really important. And then the more I read, the more I talk to people, the more I understand that it really is a big predictor of success. And I think just the integrity of the business. We've always said that our mission was empowering influencers and every action we've ever taken lines up with that. And so while we've not like plastered it across a wall, anytime our our clients look at us and what we're doing, they see that we are consistently working with integrity and for them specifically. I would also say, you know, establishing brand. So branding is just something that I absolutely love doing and Baxter enjoys as well. But the reward style brand is felt whether we're doing events in real life or through our products. And I think today with any business that anyone is starting, it's really important to differentiate yourself through brand. Amber, I'm really honoured to have chatted to you today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for the opportunity. That's all we've got time for this week. If you enjoyed that, then do please rate, review, subscribe and tell your friends. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.